I mean, haven't we found that Christmas just emphasizes everything, um, everything? You know, everything, it emphasizes the positives, right? It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, I think. And it definitely emphasizes the negatives, whether it's uh, time commitments or uh, expectations or weird, unhealthy relationships, right? It just emphasizes everything. Because um, if there's something good, I think, at Christmas time and around the holidays, it tends to magnify the good. We see that in people. It makes things even better. That's um, why we do family get-togethers. It's why we do parties. It's why we do church the way we do at Christmas time. At the same time, Christmas can also magnify the difficult times. What might be a little painful during the year seems to be incredibly painful at Christmas time. And since we're just a week away from Christmas and as many of us are preparing uh, for time with family and extended family and exes and step-parents and a host of other people that we would generally prefer not to spend time with, um, here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to explore some suggestions to help you survive and thrive with people over this Christmas season and then hopefully beyond. Um, I want to talk about three things this morning, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them three ghosts that tend to haunt our Christmas experience. And while these, are, these realities are present all year long, there's something about the holidays that just accentuate and emphasize and bring these things into focus, and we can't seem to escape their presence over, over us and their power over us at Christmas. So I'm going to let you know where I'm going for a few minutes, and this doesn't, this, I don't typically do this, but I want to let you in on where we're going because I think it'll be helpful for all of us. And I've put a handout on uh, most of the chairs. We just didn't have quite enough for all of them, and I think you're, there's probably one within arm's reach. Um, the little half sheet looks like this. I want to talk about uh, ghosts of Christmas. So I want to talk about, first of all, the ghost of offense. I want to talk specifically about how do you overcome offenses. Then we're going to talk about healing from shame, because many of us, we tend to internalize shame from something that we did, and we think that because we did this, I am bad. And so we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about that, about how God wants to bring healing to our hearts, healing from shame. And then in less than 30 minutes from now, we're going to wrap up talking about overcoming labels and the power of words, because let's be honest, all of us, as we go through life, we pick up different labels. We pick up on people's words, and they label us something, and we think something about ourselves, and those labels tend to limit us, and we uh, focus on that. So we're going to talk about overcoming those labels. So those are three, uh, those are the three ghosts that we're going to touch on today, and it's just not exhaustive, but I want to get you thinking. How many of you know someone who is easily offended? Just, I'm curious, just put your hand up. Don't look at them right now, please, but just kind of look, put your hand up a little bit. And right now, while your hand is up, you're thinking, if they only knew that I was identifying them as the easily offended one, they'd be so offended right now, okay? Um, how many of you would say quite honestly that you might be offended more often and more easily than you should be? Oh, Wow. All right, I'm going to Sermon B then. Never mind. Um, I had some notes just in case. No, it's difficult to admit. Because, uh, for example, and you're like, no, it's not me. Well, let me give a, an example. Like, let's say you're talking to somebody, and the whole time that you're trying to have a conversation with them, kind of like I'm having with you right now, uh, and they're just on their phone. Here's what's really cool about this room. is See, we keep their lights down low, right? 
So when you're on your phone, I can see the glow of the, your phone on your face. If you could see my view right now, yeah, if you, th you might want some sunscreen with that mobile device. <laughs> but I'm not offended by it. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> but you know, you know you're having that conversation with somebody, and they're just on their phone, and they're just kind of doing this. Uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. And you're like, would you put that thing down? You just want to pull a karate move and kick that out of their hand? They're like, look at me. I'm talking to you. I'm in, I'm in your presence right now. Um, and and uh, some of you, might, that might get to you. Uh, oh, speaking of the phone, it's really easy uh, now with technology to find new and creative ways to become offended. For example, maybe, uh, maybe you've experienced this. <clears throat> your friend doesn't follow you on Instagram. Like, you're friends. Like, you've been friends for a long time. You're not just social media friends. You're actual friends. And they don't follow you on Instagram. And you have, like, the coolest pictures on Instagram. You're trending all the time. And they don't even like your stuff. You like their posts all the time. They won't follow you. Or, or, or this, is, this is, like, like you're worthy of, okay, I, I will be your friend, but I won't follow you. Or, or they do follow you, and then one day they don't. You're like, how'd that happen? What happened to my numbers? How did my numbers go down? Who dropped me? And you spend all day trying to figure that out. You know, it's like, oh, I'm unliking all my likes on your page then because you unfollowed me. Or, or this one, this one. Or you text them and they slow respond to you. Oh, I know. You see, you see the... Are you texting me right now and I'm not responding? Is that the problem? Uh, I'll get back to you, I promise. Uh, or, you know, you text them and you see... They, you know they saw it and you see the bubbles? You know, it's like... And something's happening. They're typing, it says. And you're waiting and, you're wi and then nothing. It's like they decided they didn't want to talk to you after all, you know? So you're, you're just like, you started, you had something to say, and then you just dumped me in the middle of a conversation. Why'd you dump me in the middle of my text? And I thought we were tight and I'm now really offended by this. <clears throat> so then the holidays come. You know how it is. The same person who's always late doesn't bring anything to eat either. They don't bring any food, but what do they bring? Tupperware, right. Because it's like even though you don't, you know, you don't show up on time, you don't bring any food, who do you think you are? You think you're going to take some leftovers home. You know, who, how do you get off here? It's so interesting how, especially around the holidays, the, the littlest things can often set us off in the biggest ways. In a, in a time that's supposed to be Christ-honoring becomes very destructive uh, in the relationships of the people that we love the most. So there, uh, there are those kinds of little and annoying things that we can laugh about. But the reality is that for many of us, there are significant hurts and significant wounds that emerge this time of year. Because some of you have been betrayed in a significant way. Someone lied about you or someone let you down or someone represented one thing about you and then lived in a totally different way. Some of you have been abused. Some of you are going into family situations that have been very, very dysfunctional for a really long time and they're hurtful and they have been that way for years and years. And the challenge is so often when we're offended, when we let the offenses seep into our heart and they overcome our attitudes and it's like it seems like all of a sudden but it's not and for many of us we have entire Christmas experiences that are completely destroyed so there are those of us who have families who are divided those who have friendships that have ended since last Christmas 
And I pray with all my heart that you don't go into this Christmas season, this time of year that's to honor the birth of our Savior and open gifts with a heart that's closed to someone that you're called to love. I hope that you don't celebrate the love of Christ while hating someone that's very close to you. I pray that you never enjoy the grace of God without extending the grace of God to other people around you. So that's why in this Christmas season, I want to talk for a minute about overcoming offenses. Think about it. What is life? I mean, what is it? think about how the New Testament defines life as a mist, a vapor. We're here for a little while, and then it's gone. Life passes so fast. Have you found that to be true? How many of you can identify with that? Yeah, it goes really fast. Not only that, that your life is too short, but your calling is too great to live offended. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live a life where you're offended. You, you probably need to tell yourself that. You probably need to repeat that. You maybe need to write that down. My life is too short and my calling is too great to live offended. Because guess what? Life is short and guess what? Your calling is great. It is. You're like, ah, it'd be, it'd be great to know because maybe you could tell me. Listen, every single one of us, because you're like, you've been just struggling to kind of narrow that down and get a laser focus on that. And you're like, I'd like, if you'd like to, if you know what my calling is, I'd sure like for you to share that with me. We are called by God to live our lives in such a way that, that our lives influence people. And the influence leads them to become followers of Jesus and leads them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our calling. We're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be the salt of the earth. We're called to reflect the love of Jesus with everyone that we come into contact with. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're called to show his love on this earth. That's our calling. I love this verse in Proverbs 19, verse 11. I love this, this particular phrase in Proverbs 19. This is, what script, this is scripture, okay, because I couldn't make this up. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to do what? To overlook an offense. Let's say that again. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. What's that mean, to overlook an offense? Well, we need to recognize that overlooking an offense is not pretending it didn't happen. It's not saying, oh, this never happened. It's overlooking in the fact that it already happened. It's in the past. It's a conscious decision to let it go. In other words, it's a form of forgiveness. And it's almost like an in-the-moment decision to forgive and then the next moment, a, dis- a decision to forgive. And then the next moment, a decision to forgive. For years, I've used Philip Yancey's definition of forgiveness, that forgiveness is choosing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. I love that. It's a choice. It's a real-time decision that I'm going to rise above this. I'm not, and I'm just going to choose in the moment not to let this get into my heart. In fact, the word overlook it's in that we use in the English language. It comes from two Hebrew words that literally mean to pass over. It's to, it's to one's glory, to pass on over an offense, to get above it in your heart, to rise above it spiritually. So what I want to do on this one is I want to unpack two thoughts. But the first thought, if you're, if you're following along or you're taking notes or you want to, whatever, I think it's in your handout. With God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. That's the first point in there. With God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. You're like, that's nice for you. Here's the thing. The scripture is for all of us and it gives us some pretty clear guidelines. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul, verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The Apostle Paul told us this. He told us to be patient with other people. 
oh, really? I mean, Christmas week, we want to talk about this? I think we ought to. He talks about making uh, allowances for other people's faults. Um, how many of you know somebody who's perfect? I just wonder if you've known. Neither do I. So we make allowances for their faults. What's interesting is how often we tend to judge others by their actions. In fact, we pretty much always judge others by their actions. But what do we do, what do, we do with ourselves? We judge ourselves by our intentions, don't we? We tend to recognize that when someone else is, 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 has a bad day, uh, when someone else has a bad response, when someone else might seem uncaring and unkind and unfriendly and short-fused and inattentive and lacking empathy, that their bad response, listen, it's not always all about you. It's not, their bad day is not all about you. Their bad driving is not always an attempt to offend you and ruin your whole day. There's especially when it's on your way to church. Their, their snarky remark is not always about you. The fact that they walked by quickly and didn't say hi is not always about you. Whenever someone sh- is short with me, I'm trying to learn to ask myself, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder where they're hurting. When someone else is a little bit rude, instead of judging them, I, what I want to do is to have compassion for them. I wonder if there's some way I can minister to them. Is there some way I could encourage them? I wonder if they need prayer. Instead of immediately taking offense, because that's where we tend to go. But what I want to do is I want to have the attitude of Christ. I want to have compassion on someone because I don't want to be someone who's easily offended. It's a work in progress. Second thing, if you're following along, with God's help, I'm getting over the big offenses. I want to be gentle here because I know that there are those of you who have very significant wounds in your life, and I get that. And I know for a lot of us, especially going into Christmas time, it stirs up those things and betrayal and hurts and abuse and maybe lies and loss that you've experienced. And, you know, and I, I know this is very, very real. But when we've been hurt, we have a choice. We can essentially do one of a couple extremes. We can rehearse it. What happened? That's, and that's what we often do. We kind of get stuck there. You know, well, she said, and then he did, and, and they wouldn't, and then she never, and, and I don't know, and God didn't come through. And, and we let it kind of go over and over. It plays, uh, plays over in our minds and th- through our lips over and over and over, you know. And it feeds the bitterness, and it feeds the anger, and it feeds the dislike deeper into our heart. So we can rehearse it, or with God's help, we can start to release it. And if you're following along, that's a blank because I wanted you to write that down in your own writing. We can release it. We can rehearse it with God's help or, or we can rehearse it with people listening or with God's help, we can release it. This process of forgiveness, for most of us, in most situations, it's going to take time. We tend to think it's a one-time, it's like a moment in time. There may be a moment in time, but then there's going to be lots of moments in time when it comes to forgiveness. It comes, it comes in layers. Have you noticed? Have, have you ever been surprised when you've, you've forgiven someone and then down the road a little bit, you're like, oh, where'd that come from? I thought I'd forgiven this person. It's because it, it's a process and there's lots of layers to it and it's, it's complicated and it's not all black and white. And as we continue to seek God and as we continue to press into him and as we continue to pray and we continue to seek to do the right thing, the Holy Spirit starts to change our hearts. In fact, Colossians 3 and the Apostle Paul said this, He says, make allowances, I referenced this already, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You might be thinking of somebody right now. 
Just write down Colossians 3, 13. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. How do you forgive someone who's unforgivable? How do you forgive someone that's for something that's so wrong and so brutal and so horrific and so intentional and so raw and so recent? Oh, and not only how do we forgive someone that's hurt us, but you know what? Sometimes even more difficult to forgive someone that's hurt someone that we love. Oh, you mess with my kid, that's another story. You mess with my wife, that's, you know, how do we forgive? We forgive as we've been forgiven. How do you do that? Again, the Apostle Paul says, Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you, you must forgive others. We forgive because we've been forgiven, and we forgive as we've been forgiven. And I don't know about you, because I can't speak for anybody here, but I've been forgiven of a lot. Because if you look at the accumulation of my years and all the times that I've let people down, the times that I've hurt people throughout the years, the times that I've maybe been less than honest, I've blatantly sinned against God, I've been forgiven a lot. Maybe you have too. So how do I forgive somebody that seems unforgivable? I forgive in the same way that I've been forgiven. Oh, and it's a process. Don't be surprised by the process. You know, God, help me forgive. Change my heart. Help me give grace as you've given me grace. I pray for this person even though I don't really want to. So how do we forgive something that seems unforgivable? We forgive the same way that Christ has forgiven us. What we tend to do is we tend to withhold forgiveness until we think someone is worthy of forgiveness. Well, first of all, that's not forgiveness. It's earning some kind of favor. I mean, do we, do we withhold forgiveness until they've changed their ways? Do we withhold forgiveness until they've apologized? No. We forgive regardless of whether they're worthy of our forgiveness. We forgive even while they continue in the same destructive behavior. We forgive before they ask for forgiveness because that's how Jesus forgave us. Paul said, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So over time, while this process plays out in our lives and in our relationships, and especially in our relationship with God, over time, we're no longer saying, I'm getting over it. Because, but at some point, we're going to be able to say, because of God's involvement in this process in my life, I am over it. I'm over it. I'm different. It doesn't hold me back anymore. Because of God's work in my life and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I can say I'm over it. I'm not letting it slow me down. I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm over the past. It's there. It's part of my story, but I'm over it. There are those of you, and I believe this could be the time, perhaps this Christmas season is where the presence of God becomes so real to you. Listen. And the work of the Holy Spirit becomes a real thing in your life. Maybe this is the time that He's going to do that he's going to do a healing work. And you're no longer going to be under the curse of something that happened in the past. I want you to really focus. Just focus on me, okay? Um, we're, it's cool that we're okay with babies being in the room, right? Okay, so just... Don't offend me. Because um, <laughs> I know how easy it is to get distracted when it gets a little uncomfortable. Can you imagine getting to the place where you're saying, with God's help, I'm getting over it? With God's help, I'm getting over it. 
then one day because of God's grace and extended in your life and the process that you've stayed engaged in, I'm over it. Because of his grace, I've moved on, I've let it go. I'm not living in the past anymore. This ghost of Christmas has no power over me anymore. So this Christmas, that interaction that I kind of have to have because it's Christmas time, I'm over it. I'm good. What used to hold me back is making me stronger, and what used to hurt me in the past is conform me to the image of Christ. I'm even more like him today than I was last Christmas, so what weighed me down for years and made me so uncomfortable in certain situations for a long time no longer holds me down. Why? Because I'm over it. I stayed in the process long enough, and as Jesus has forgiven me, so I forgive others. Proverbs says it's to your glory to overlook, to rise above, not to be held hostage to an offense. Why? Because life is too short, it's too short to live offended, and your calling is too great. Do you recognize that? That God created you and shaped you and formed you and gave you gifts and put you at this moment in history in the lives of the people that you're in with, that you're doing life with. Why? To bring him glory and to do his will. So what used to hold me hostage doesn't hold me anymore. Why? Because God is causing me to rise above it. God's lifting me above it. My soul is so close to the things of God that I don't want those things to draw me down. That's the ghost of offense. Let's jump down to point number two. We're talking about ghosts of Christmas. Number two is shame. Shame is a soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion there's a distinct difference between guilt and shame. What is guilt? Guilt is the feeling that I did something bad. Ever been there? We've all been there. Shame is the idea that I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is the emotion because I did something bad, I am bad. So what do we, what do, we do with that? We connect the... the what with the who. We connect what we did with who we are. I did bad, therefore I am bad, and we start to believe that. After what I did, I'm worthless. There may be people in this room today, and you have some kind of secret. You're carrying a secret of some kind, a secret addiction. You don't want anybody to know about that. And internally, because of that, you embrace the idea that I'm just a horrible person. Because first of all, I'm a phony. I'm just a fraud. And then look at the stuff I'm, in, I, I'm engaged in. Maybe you're, you're a Jesus follower, and yet you're engaged in a secret world of something. Because of that, you feel like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty bad person. And people have no idea. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you have a complicated sexual past. And you're like, man, if they knew about that, I couldn't even. I mean, if they knew about that, I couldn't even serve coffee or park cars in the parking lot at this church because, like, I am so bad. And you're consumed with this idea of shame because it can be any number of things. And relax, I'm not going to list all the things it could be. And you internalize it and you connect the what with the who and you're like, oh, well, I'm not a good person is where you land. And before long, you put words on that. What do you say? You say things like, I'm defective, I'm damaged, I'm broken, I'm flawed, I'm dirty, I'm ugly, I'm impure, I'm disgusting, I'm unlovable, I'm weak, I'm pitiful, I'm insignificant. I'm worthless, I'm unwanted. Let me say a couple things about shame-based thinking. In our shame, we are vulnerable to perfectionism. Now, that sounds weird, like a weird leap, but it's true. We're vulnerable to perfectionism. We, we attempt to silence our shame, listen, with an error-free performance. We find it difficult to ever admit failure, 
and we want to silence the shame by performing at the highest standard possible. And it's like, look, I'm not that bad. I, I did it. I succeeded. I got it just right. And, and we're very vulnerable to perfectionism. Second thing is that we become critical of ourselves. That's an outplay of perfectionism. But then we become critical of others as well. And we're very hard on ourselves. And because we're hard on ourselves, in turn, we tend to be hard on others. And then what happens? Well, we see our own faults mirrored in the lives of other people. And when we see our faults in other people, think about it like when it comes to your kids, uh, we, we become judgmental of them. And then they perceive us as arrogant or self-righteous. And they may be right. Third thing is this, and we use self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape. We focus on the worst possible outcomes. Because we say things to ourselves like, well, this bad thing's going to happen, and they're never going to like me. I'm never going to amount to anything. We'll never have a close relationship. And through our own self-defeating thoughts, we end up sabotaging opportunities and relationships. That's why Christmas can get so crazy. Because what happens? You're around the table, and your mom lashes out at you for no reason at all. And you're like, where did that come from? And your dad goes off and gets drunk like he always does and disengages from everybody. And you're like, well, there he goes again. And he didn't recognize that he's just, he's just hiding. It's his unhealthy and unproductive way of coping with a very real internal shame. And your in-laws pick at you about the way that you're raising your kids. And you're like, why would they do this? The reality is maybe perhaps they feel inadequate. So listen, I, it is my deepest prayer that this Christmas, God would begin a healing work and set so many of you free of that dark and devastating emotion of shame. If that's where you're living, that's my prayer for you. My prayer for you really comes out of Isaiah 54. I love this passage in Isaiah 54. This is God speaking to Israel, and I believe it could be God speaking to many of you today. God said, fear not. You will no longer live in, <laughs> you'll no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. I, I think I'd like to just read that again, actually. And I want you to internalize this. Like, just take this as a message from God to you. And he says, fear not. You'll no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. And you'll no longer remember the shame of your youth or your past. Why is it that if you're a follower of Jesus, we can be completely free from the shame of the past, and yet we tend to live there? 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says uh, this amazing promise that if we confess our sins, God's faithful and He's just, and He's going to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's the good news. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, 2 Corinthians 5. God separates your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. That's in Psalm 103. He doesn't hold them against you anymore. And it's, we tend to think he's forgotten about them. I don't think he forgets. I don't know that God can do that. Um, and I think there's more power when you remember and choose not to hold those against you anymore. You're free from that. Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So our good God forgives you and uses your sin against you no more. If anyone calls on him, he's faithful to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If our God is that good and that forgiveness is that real and that complete, then why do we often continue to live in shame? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you know all these truths up here. 
but you have never really embraced it in your heart and it hasn't really come through in the way that you live your life and interact with people in the way that you, the person that you see when you look in the mirror. Well, the truth is it's really, really difficult to overcome shame because, again, it tends to become a part of our identity. The only way I, I'm going to propose, the only way to move on from shame is to move the focus from what I'm not to who Christ is. Whenever you're focused on yourself, you're going to come up short again and again and again. Because you're not designed, first of all, to do life on your own. It's true. You need help. You can write that down. Todd said so. You need help. And you are inadequate, and so am I. And if we continue to focus on ourselves, we're always going to come up short. And that's why we have to move the focus off of this is where I fall short and move the focus onto who Christ is because he's the solution to our shame. If you look in your notes, I put a, a little sentence there with a couple of blanks. Uh, this is where you get to go to work. This is where you get to be honest because this is where we get to take some steps in overcoming our shame-based identity to have the courage to be transparent, to open up your life and to let the guard down and to let somebody in to be honest with God and say, I need your help. I need healing at this place in my life. So what I've put there in your notes is, I am not blank. Whatever it is, I don't know, know what will go on your blank, but fill that in with the most common lie that the enemy throws at you and then, then we're going to fill it in with truth. Because of Christ, I am what? Let me give you some ideas. You might say this. You might say, well, I'm not bad. I'm not going to focus on that. Because of Christ, I'm forgiven. You may say, I'm not sick. Because of Christ, I am healed. I'm not broken. Because of Christ, I'm a new creation in, in, in Jesus. The old is gone, and I've become new. I'm not disgusting. Because of Christ, I am loved, and I am lovable. Maybe you felt like someone was saying, you know, shame on you, shame on you. Maybe you've got to do Christmas with people who that's their message to you. Maybe you've said it to yourself because you've heard it so often now that you're believing it. And maybe you thought it was God saying to you, saying that to you. Listen, that's not God saying that to you. If anything, God would say to you, I've rolled that shame off of you. Shame was on you, oh, believe me, yeah. But now because of the work of Christ, shame has no place so feel that. Live in that. Shame was on you, but now shame is not on you, okay? God, by his power, by his grace, by his goodness, has removed our shame. Today, not later, not someday, not eventually, not if you try hard enough. Today, shame's been lifted off of you. So embrace that. You are not what you did in the past. You are not necessarily what others say you are. You are not necessarily what you've come to think you are. Who are you? You are who Christ says you are. If you're in Christ, you are you're free. You're forgiven. You're changed. You're redeemed. You're healed. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're complete. If you're in Christ, you are a child of God. The old is gone and the new has come. Because listen, today by the power of God, he's rolled away the shame. No more condemnation. Let me just say that again. No more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So what is it for you? Maybe you carried a secret. You made a decision, you, something you regret. You hurt somebody. You failed. Your enemies tried to connect the what with the who. You're, you know, you're bad. You're dirty. You're nothing. Take the focus off of you and put the focus on who Christ is. And I can do everything he's called me to do. I can be the person he's called me to be. I have everything I need to do, everything he's called me to do. Today, may the shame be rolled away. Here's what we're going to take a minute. I want you to just focus on those blanks. I am not. You fill that in for you. And because of Christ, I am. And replace that with truth. We're going to play music for about a minute. It's on, it's on you. power of words. How many of you know that words can be very powerful? Words have the power to create. They have the power to heal. They have the power to shape. They have the power to motivate. On the negative side, though, words have the power to hurt. They have the power to wound. They have the power to discourage. The power to destroy. There's a little saying that uh, people say. They're like, well, it's just words. It's just words. Some of you might have grown up hearing the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will. And you told your kids that. You've heard that? How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever told your kids that? You thought you were being a great parent. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That must be the stupidest thing that anybody has ever said. Words never hurt you? Words can really hurt. They can leave lasting scars. They form us. They stick with us for a long time. The reality is this. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that our words hold the power of life and death. Words can build and words can destroy. The truth is when you hear something over and over again, it's hard not to actually believe that it's true. Words have shaping power in our lives. The reality is, let's call it what it is, that there are many of us, many, many of you sitting in this room and me, and we, we, in different areas of our lives, we actually struggle in the present because of labels we've picked up in the past. We struggle, that's the other blank, we struggle in the present because of labels we've picked up in the past. We struggle in this moment because of labels that we've wrongly owned from things that have happened to us in our past. 
Maybe somebody said something about you at one time and called you something or belittled you or made you feel less than and you internalized that label. You heard uh, something about you on the outside or about your actions or about your abilities, about something on the outside of you and you started to internalize it and took it into the inside. Let's be honest though. Sometimes we internalize a negative label and there are times when there might be some truth to that. Okay? In other words, if someone says to you, you're lazy, you might need to own that label. You might actually not be the most motivated person you've ever met, right? Or maybe you're a hothead and someone, the truth is you might have to, you might actually lose your temper more easily and more quickly than the average person. There might be some truth to the label that you've embraced. But here's what I hope you'll understand. What's true about you now doesn't have to be true about you later. Because some of you would say what was true about me in my past is not true of me now. So I'm going to say what's true of you now doesn't have to be true of you in the future. God's power is bigger than your past. His grace is stronger than any label that anybody could ever put on you or that you've even picked up. What's true about you now doesn't have to be true of you later. So if you don't like something that you've been called or a label that you've picked up, Let's name it something different. Someone has called you insecure. It's been something that you have identified with for too long. It's time to ditch that and to lean into, no, no, I, I'm not insecure. I am confident in Christ. I have everything in Christ that I need to do everything that he's called me to do. Call it something else. Well, you're just lazy. Well, actually, I'm not. I'm being transformed by the Holy Spirit. I'm being transformed by renewing my mind. I'm motivated to fulfill His divine calling in my life. I wake up every day with divine purpose to use my gifts to make a difference in the world. Well, I'm just miserable, always have been. Well, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Call it something else. You'll grow into believing it over time. Confess what God says is true about you. Don't embrace a lie. Well, you're not dependable. You're a cheater. You're a loser. You're a failure. No, you're forgiven, you're transformed, you've made new, you're healed by the grace of Jesus, you're loved, you're an overcomer. Name it something different. You may have been saying, well, you know, I'm just going through a tough season. This is a really bad season, it's just tough. Well, actually, in this season, how about I'm being conformed to the image of Christ? I'm being shaped as I'm learning to persevere and to have faith and to trust in Jesus. When it looks like I'm being hurt, actually, I'm being transformed from the inside. My spiritual roots are going deeper. It may look like winter, but spring is coming, and I believe it, and I can feel it, and God's doing a work in me. You might say, I feel so alone right now, and I'm really totally dreading the Christmas season. I usually do, because I hurt, because I feel alone. Name that something different. I'm drawing closer to Christ. He's my strength. He's my identity. He's my comfort. I'm, I've, I've never been away from the presence of God. I feel so close to Him, and He draws near to me. Name it something different. Listen, you don't get to choose what happens to you, but you do get to choose what you call it because perspective matters. And the reality is you have an enemy who hates you. His mission, the Bible says, is to, to rob, kill, and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. But let me tell you what really matters to the heart of God. You matter to the heart of God. And our enemy is a liar and the father of lies. What he wants to do is tell you over and over and over again what you're not you're not good enough. You're never going to amount to anything. You can't make a difference. After what you did, I'll just remind you of what you did. 
and if they really knew, and on and on and on. Those are the ghosts of Christmas past, okay? But we serve the Savior of Christmas who came to this world, born of a virgin, who loved us as we were, died so we could be forgiven, rose from the dead so that anyone who calls on him is a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The old is gone. And the news come. The labels are broken. The power of that label no longer holds you. The old is gone and the new has come. Let's just take a minute and reflect here. I want to I ask very lovingly, and this will take a little bit of courage on your part to maybe even just admit that you're connecting to some outward label with your inward identity. But today, by faith, would you take that to Jesus and say, Lord, help me call this something else. I don't want to be what someone else says. I don't want to be a result of the brokenness of my past. I don't, I don't want any, I want to be who you say that I am. I want to be transformed by your grace. There's this label that I'm sick and tired of internalizing. I need to be free from this. Let's just take that to Jesus right now. In fact, let's pray together. The band's going to come and join me on the stage here while we're just kind of reflecting for just a minute. There may be, uh, there may be something drawing you towards God today. Let me tell you what that is. That's God's grace. It's his goodness. It's his love. It's his spirit. Somewhere in the past, you may have taken up an offense. It might have been a, a big deal, a legitimately big deal. Or maybe it was something minor that you made major. Either way, you're carrying some offenses around with you. Maybe you live with a heavy sense of shame. You believe the lie that your failures have defined you, that your actions have defined you, that what you've done is actually who you are. And, you know, you're, maybe you're here all the time and you hear truth and you sing songs about freedom, but you can't imagine what it's like to actually live in the freedom that Jesus promised. Maybe you've been affected by the words of someone in your past. Someone in your family. Someone you might have to spend time with over the next couple of weeks. Maybe an ex-spouse, maybe a step-parent. And you've been deeply scarred by the words that came out of someone's mouth. You heard them over and over and over and to the point that you believed them to be true. You've picked up some labels and you've worn them as if they were actually true of you, as if they actually described you and defined who you are. Oh, maybe there's some truth in those words, just enough truth that you couldn't discard it. And they were sure they were embellished, but there was still some truth in there. Listen, what's true about you now doesn't have to be true of you later. Heavenly Father, I pray for a healing work this morning pray that you would take what the enemy meant for evil in our lives. My God, I pray that by faith 
you just turn that into good. God, we pray that we would see ourselves as you see us. That we never call ourselves something that's contrary to your image in us. So God, through your Holy Spirit, renew our minds. Conform us to the image of Christ. We want to bring glory to you with every breath that we take. So help us take whatever lies we've been embracing and set those aside. Call them something else for the sake of the truth. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, as called and chosen, loved and lovable, worthy children of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Before his procreation, the God of heaven knew our name. We formed in his reflection, we are his glory on display. 